1: Live from the White Call Hard Seltzer Studios, it's Overtime with William Patterson and Jordan Moore on a Friday night. So much to talk about, including the Vols hitting the road tomorrow to face off against the Georgia Bulldogs. And we'll also give you our best bets of the night as well. A lot to stay tuned here for on Overtime. But we begin with this, and it's Kalen DeBoer has been hired as Alabama's next head coach. Uh, DeBoer led the Washington Huskies to a Pac-12 championship, a college football playoff bid, and a national championship appearance this season. And DeBoer finished with a 25-3 record at Washington and boasts a 104-12 record as a head coach. Uh, Jordan, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me come back in here. Of course, man. Happy, happy to have you on here today. Um, we'll begin with this, Jordan.
2: Did Bama make the right hire with DeBoer? I think when it comes to the football X's and O's side, I think this is probably one of the best hires that they could have made. Sure. Um, DeBoer is a proven winner. He's won everywhere he has been. Uh, Obviously, they were just in the national championship game. Um, He's a great offensive mind. They have great offenses under him. So, on the football field, X's and O's, yes, I think it's a great hire. Now, he's never coached in the South. No. He's never recruited in the South. He's never been in the South. This is a different animal. Definitely. Um, so I think that is a concern that is, is something that he will have to work on um and you know we'll have to see how that plays out. But I think when it comes to the football field and who how he is as a head coach, I think they made one of the best hires that they could have made.
1: Yeah, so my take on it is I really like Dan Lanning because I think Lanning has done a really good job at Oregon after Crystal Ball left. He's a really good recruiter, um, has shown over the last couple years that he can put Oregon in a successful situation, is a very good portal guy, brought in Bo Nix, who was huge for them. So I like Dan Lanning as the number one guy. And when he decided he was going to stay in Oregon, which I understand his move, he's kind of building his own thing there, um, I was like, let's go get De DeBoer. I think that's your next best option, and I think Alabama thought as well. Uh, Chris Lowe, who broke the the story of Nick Saban retiring, went on XM yesterday and said that Alabama didn't even question for Dabo Sweeney or Lane Kiffin. So I kind of had the, the feeling here that DeBoer was going to be their next guy, if not Mike Norvell, but obviously uh, Norvell got a big extension. He said last night he's staying. So I think DeBoer's uh, without a doubt the right hire. I think he's the second best hire they could have gotten. And uh, like you said, you know he's had a lot of success at Washington, and his entire career as a head coach, he's been really good. And even at the, you know, a lot of people say, well, okay, he's 104 and 12 as a head coach, but he was at uh, Syox Falls or Se-off- well, How do you even pronounce that? Uh, but I-, I look at it as he's been able to win at multiple different levels. He's been able to win at a lower division football school. And then he's gone to the Pac-12 and inherited a a team from Chris Peterson and made them as good or more successful. I mean, Washington hasn't been in the playoffs since 2016. And in two seasons, uh, they're right back where they want to be and in the championship game with a a dynamic offense. And uh, he also used the portal as well by bringing in Michael Penix and a couple of those guys. Um, I I think he's the right hire. I think he will be uh, really good for them. But uh, the one question I do have is recruiting, and, and DeBoer's recruiting class is at Washington, uh, 29th and 2024 this season. Uh twenty twenty or excuse me, 29th and 2023, that was last season. And his first year, uh, he was 59th, which was 2022. And I get that's a new coach, kind of um, got to piece together a class there. But 29th, 29th, 59th is not going to get it done in Alabama. Is recruiting going to be an issue for DeBoer?
2: <clears throat> I think he has the potential to be. Um, I, The thing is going to be who – who on the Alabama staff does he retain? Sure. And that could help a ton. Also, yeah. as we've seen some from some interviews, Saban plans on staying in Tuscaloosa, as he said, and having an office there. So he's there to help in those situations. Um, it's going to be something that you're definitely going to have to monitor uh, as far as recruiting because, as you know, I said earlier, he doesn't have relationships in the South. No. Like he doesn't have – he's never recruited this, the entire Southeast you know, he doesn't have the relationships with these high school coaches or the 7-on-7 coaches or some of these, you know, kids or parents or connections that he can just lean on now that he's in the South. Um, and it's something definitely you're going to have to monitor, and he's definitely, you know, going to have to, to try to retain as much of this roster as he possibly can because I'm sure some of these kids are shocked. that I mean, Oh, yes, definitely. They, they came there to play for Saban. Yeah. You know, they didn't come there to play for DeBoer. No. Yeah. Um, so he's going to have to retain a lot of this roster. Uh, I, I think that if he retains a lot of these coaches that are on the Alabama – and that's that's another aspect of this is, you know, with DeBoer like, being successful as much as he has, I'm sure he's done it with his guys. Yes, yes. So if they ask him to keep some of the staff, I mean, how comfortable is he saying, well, I've won with my guys mm-hmm. and now you want me to retain these guys that are already here for recruiting purposes – so how do that how does that staff mesh together once he gets down there? I mean there's I like I said for you know in the first part, I think the, the football aspect, it's a great hire. Yeah. The, all the other stuff, that's gonna be where we have to figure it out. And really I'm surp- I'm surprised that he took the job. I can get this Alabama. But Washington is a pretty good football program. Yeah. I mean they have a history. They've won mm-hmm. a national championship before, you know, back in the nineties. Um they're going to the big ten. So they're going to get more money. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're going to be playing in a pretty good conference. Um, He already has a rolling there. Yeah. And, you know, Seattle, that area is a good place to live compared to living in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. I'm sure Washington tried to match the money. Yeah. You know, so I was kind of – and, you know, I'm sure you guys have talked about following the GOAT aspect of it. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean, how many times have you seen in other sports or even in college football somebody that stature of a Saban retire – And it doesn't matter who that next person is. It could have been somebody that was successful at another job, come in and they don't really live up to those expectations, or it's not good enough, quick enough for that fan base. So I'm surprised that he was willing to step in those shoes there and try to follow that when he already has a good thing going at Washington.
1: Yeah. So I think you make a great point, and we've talked about it all week is okay, Alabama is a very great, I mean, great job to have. Anyone would want to be the coach of Alabama, right? But following up Nick Saban and everything he did for them in those 17 years, that's a really tough act to follow. Yep. And, you know, I think it might have scared a couple of people away from the job. Like, hey, I don't I don't want to go in that situation being the, the next guy. And no one wants to be that guy. Everyone wants to be the guy after the guy, you right. know, um, the cleanup guy. So I, I think that it's a really uh, big weight on DeBoer's shoulders to come in there. But I think... I think he kind of likes it. I think he likes the opportunity. He's never been a, a guy that was, you know, had the the best opportunity. He's always had to build himself up, right? And um, I, I think even though Washington goes to the Big Ten next year, there's nothing better than playing in the SEC. Coaching the SEC—that's the highest level in college football. So as a coach and as a competitor, you know, this is him getting to the the biggest level you can, the highest level of coaching. So um, in that sense, I think he's ready for it. Now, recruiting, I think, is a, a really big kind of question mark for him. Now, obviously, recruiting a kid to Washington is a little bit different than recruiting a kid to Alabama. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have the tools at Alabama and the funding in Alabama to get those guys in. But as you said, a lot of these guys come in to play for Nick Saban. I mean, yes, people go to Alabama to play at Alabama, but the reason why Alabama was Alabama was because of Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's going to be something he's going to have to – kind of instill on his own, like, hey, Alabama is still Alabama, but now it's just with me. Like, this is – we're going to keep those same traditions of winning. We're going to have the same uh, just intensity through practice and every game. I think he's got to instill that and kind of earn some trust, and I think he definitely can. But it'll be interesting to see the roster turnover. We've already seen Isaiah Bond, who is a really big piece for that team this past year, had that in, uh, just incredible catch on that fourth and 31 in the Auburn game. Um, so losing a guy like that right out of the gate is a tough way to go, but I imagine uh, he will bring a couple guys over from Washington usually uh, when a coach leaves, so do the players, Um, and and that'll be vice versa, Alabama will lose guys too but I think if he gets in there in the team meeting and says, hey guys, you know, hey, I I know Saban's leaving, I know he's the guy that recruited you, but I'm going to do my best job to put you in a winning situation as well, and I think he's just got to kind of resell that now to a new group of guys because even if a couple of these guys leave. A lot of these guys are going to probably stay, mm-hmm. and playing in Alabama, there's not a better uh, place to play in the SEC other than maybe Georgia in terms of you know the the, the history and pedigree it comes with. So um, I think he's going to have to be a better recruiter, uh, but I do think he's done a good job good job in the transfer portal, which is something that not all coaches can say right now. I look over at Dabo Sweeney and and, and Clemson. Uh, A guy that's very outspoken how he doesn't want to do that. And look where Clemson's gone over the last couple years. So I think he's a willing recruiter, especially through the portal, and I think that will really help him out. Um, So now we kind of move into how this affects the SEC landscape. Now, obviously, Oklahoma, Texas coming in next year, two really big brands. Does that affect the recruiting at all? And really, how does this affect the entire landscape of the SEC with DeBoer coming in?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I was thinking about this from a Tennessee fan, uh, you know, playing Alabama every single year, and he's no Saban, right? So you take you take a a breath because okay, now Nick Saban is not on that sideline anymore. So yeah. you 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 would think that okay, the parity is going to be there now a little mm-hmm. bit more than what it has been in the past in the SEC. You would think okay, you know, I'm old enough to remember. We beat Alabama. Yeah. We're consistent than what we have in the past seventeen years of saving there. I, yeah. You know, I remember those wins, and you, as a Tennessee fan, you think, okay, now we have a shot to get back to, you know, beating them more often than what we have for seventeen for seventeen years, um, and it brings more parity into the conference, and also it brings to me more parity um, just in college football in general because you know, as you were talking about recruiting. A lot of these kids, as we said, went there for Nick Saban. Yeah. Now, they may not get eight, five stars Mm -hmm. in a recruiting cycle. You know, they may get four. They may Mm -hmm. get three. Mm -hmm. You know, now you're spreading some of that recruiting talent that Alabama was hoarding there. Now you're kind of spreading it out for more schools, which may open up more parity in college football because the talent's been spread out.
1: Yeah. Well, I think with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma and, you know, with Saban leaving now, I think the SEC becomes a little bit more wide open. You know, there's. I think it's a lot more competitive, and I think it would have been competitive even if Saban had stayed last this upcoming year. Um, but now, you know, from a Tennessee perspective, you don't have to face Nick Saban every year. And I think from a really just a general perspective, you don't have to you know face him because I think Nick Saban, the best thing about him in game, is his in game adjustments. That Rose Bowl, right? Michigan did such a great job of applying pressure on Milrow. Five sacks held Milrow to 51 yards, something that hadn't been done all year. But in that second half, Alabama came out and looked like the better team. Looked like you know that first half never even happened. And I think a lot of times in these big games in the conference, like when Ole Miss went to Alabama this year, Ole Miss held their own in that first half. Second half, totally different game. Saban, just with those second half adjustments, completely outcoached them. And also against Georgia in the SEC Championship, they kind of knew how to beat Georgia, a team that hadn't really faced a mobile quarterback all year. And... The scheme was, all right, we're going to let Milrow win this game with his legs and extending plays, and they were able to handily beat Georgia. So I think what Saban is going to – I think what Alabama is going to miss, without Saban at least, is the in-game adjustments. And I think that helps the SEC as a whole because now, you know, you don't have a, the greatest coach of all time on the other sideline. I'm not saying that DeBoer can't uh, be a good coach himself, but I've not seen those second-half adjustments from DeBoer yet or – those in-game adjustments from DeBoer yet. Um, And and I think that helps the SEC as a whole. Now, um, I I think it also gives a lot of opportunities to teams like Tennessee who are kind of on the rise. You know, I I saw you tweeted out earlier uh, two South Dakota coaches um, both coming in with DeBoer coming in, also Heupel from South Dakota. Um, So I I think now you have, uh, you know, Tennessee can hang around and maybe get some wins, get a run next year. Because that Alabama game doesn't necessarily mean it's a loss anymore. Um, And I think you can go around the conference with a couple of these schools and say the same thing. So I think it widens the SEC even more, which is a good thing from a uh, consumer's perspective. A lot more, um, you know, a lot more parity, a lot more good teams out there. And, you know, we don't know who could win the SEC next year. Obviously, Georgia will make a run. And obviously, we think Alabama will stay stay in the – Maybe not as dominant, but still really good. We'll see what Texas brings. But I think it opens up the SEC a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about like the in-game adjustments. We saw that as, with Tennessee this season. Yes. I mean, it yes. looked really yes. good in the second. You know, the first half looked really bad in the second half. One aspect, too, of the hire that he's going to have to get adjusted to, and we'll have to see how this works out, is he's never been at a program – that has boosters that always think they're right. Yeah. That always have to say and will put their finger on you and say this is how it's going to be. Saban's presence in Alabama; those boosters did not tell him what to do. No. They listened to him, and yeah. what he said is what happened. Uh-huh. Now you bring somebody else in, maybe these boosters feel like, okay, now we can. We got you know, the
1: upper hand. We here. have
2: the upper hand here. Yeah. So that's another aspect of the off-field thing that you got to think about when you're making mm-hmm. these hires too. Um, you know, like I said, the X's and O's aspect is great. It's just going to be the off-the-field stuff. We'll have to see how he does. But yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't go into this Alabama game before the season starts and you know chuck this thing up as an L because Nick Saban's on that sideline. No. Now no. I, have, I have confidence and I feel like okay, we have a coach. They have a coach. And we can go toe for toe with them, yeah. and our recruiting is starting to pick up, and we're starting to recruit better, and now we have more of the Jimmys and Joes that can go up against their yes. their guys too. So it's it's definitely going to bring to me more parity to the to the rivalry between us to the SEC as a whole, and it's 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 exciting as a Tennessee fan on multiple levels. Um, for them to bring him in and for, for Saban to finally retire, obviously because he dominated for so long. But, but just the parity in general, this this conference, I think, is finally going to open up like what you're talking about and give other teams and other programs more chances to get to the mountaintop and to, to get to the college football mm-hmm. playoff.
1: Yeah. Uh, before we had a break here, uh, a couple days ago when the news dropped, we were coming in, we gave our initial reactions. What was your initial reaction when Saban retired? I was shocked. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, there's been rumors and talk all, all season about potentially retirement. Um, I guess in my head, I, I thought that if he goes out, he's going to go out on top on his terms, yeah. and everybody's going to know it's coming. Yeah. Like, I mean, we kind of heard things, but you didn't know for sure. No. So I thought it was going to be one of those situations, okay, in the middle of the season it comes out, this is his last season they maybe go on playing the national championship game maybe win the whole thing and you have this big ceremony after yeah. crowning him the goat and he walks yeah. so, like that's how i pictured he would go walk. i didn't think it would be a situation where randomly on a wednesday at five o'clock news breaks of he's done yeah and then that that's it yeah. you know I, f- I figured it'd be a big press conference of yes all that yeah and so i'm still kind of because we didn't get any of that and still kind of in shock that yeah. this is actually still a thing, this is actually still happening.
1: Yeah, well, he did that interview yesterday, and that's really his only kind of moment to really explain it for himself. Now, yesterday, the Patriots, when they let go of Belichick, it was a big press conference. They had Belichick say something, Robert Kraft say something. It was kind of a little bit of a bigger big, bigger deal, just kind of like, a, okay, this is the the closing, the closure moment for them, and really didn't get that from Saban. Yeah. And I was more so shocked that a it was you know you never expected the day he would actually retire like you it was always in the back of your mind but you're like it's never gonna happen right he's always gonna be coaching and um, I, I'm just surprised he didn't want to give it one more run with that group because the talent they had on that roster for the most part pretty young returning a lot of pieces next year and that was one of the things that Reese Davis asked Saban last night and he goes you know I I, I could have but I think at the end of the year I was just so so tired. And it just took a toll on me. And I don't think I would have uh, – I, I guess res- it would have been out of my players' best interest if I knew last year was my last year and kind of have this farewell tour where the season's more about saving more so than the players. And I understand that perspective. And I think that just kind of tails right into just the professionalism he had yeah. and just the the character. What, what a guy. What a coach. And uh, I, we will never see a, a guy no. as, good as, as I, good as
2: him. I respect – I I I never liked him at Bama because it's Alabama, but I've always respected Nick (laughs) Saban. He is he's by far the goat of college football. With the era that he has done this in, social Mm -hmm. media era, transfer portal, all this stuff. But for him to go out the, the way he's going out this way, I respect that a lot. He didn't hang on too long. No, he didn't let the program sink because he he held on too long. You know, he. I respect him for, for saying, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Even though, even though, I mean, the, you know, as you, you said, they could have still made the college football playoff next year. Very well. Very yeah. well. They have the talent there. And for him just to say, no, I, I can't do it, I, I respect that a lot for him just to say, I'm done.
1: Yeah, and I, I tweeted it out when it happened. Just I was in shock, and I had to make another tweet as I kind of gathered my thoughts. But I was like, you know, whether you cheered for him or against him, you never questioned his greatness. And uh, he leaves Alabama with an untouchable resume and lasting memories for all of college football fans. And I think that kind of sums up what he was during his career. Obviously, as Tennessee fans and SEC fans, we are, um, you know, have fun in retirement. It'll help us out a little bit. But um, it is a sad day that that he's hanging it up and um, really a part of my childhood as well, growing up watching that.
2: One one thing this week has, has taught me is I'm getting old. (laughs) <laughs> because because Belichick retires, Pete Carroll's done, Saban retire I mean th- that you know a couple of years Roy Williams is gone coach that all those guys that's my childhood yeah. like that's my teenage years of my childhood I've seen those guys on the sideline my entire life yeah. and now it's surreal to me that I'm going to look up and Duke's not going to have Coach K. The Patriots aren't going to have Belichick. Alabama's not going to have Nick Saban. It's just, yeah, it's a lot of change. And I know that happens when you get older, but it's just, it's surreal to me that all this is happening. Because uh, I've had so many memories of those guys on the sidelines in football yeah. games and basketball games.
1: For sure. All right, coming up next, Laval's hit the road against the Georgia Bulldogs tomorrow, and we'll break it down here on Overtime.
3: Are you ready to elevate your driving experience? Then you need to head over to your hometown dealership, Parkside Kia, home of the lifetime warranty. Discover the latest Kia cars and SUVs where technology meets style. Our friendly staff is here to make your car buying experience a breeze. Don't wait, visit Parkside Kia today and drive home in the Kia of your dreams. Check them out online at parksidekia.com and visit their showroom at 9929 Parkside Drive. Parkside Kia, where your journey begins.
0: or visit smathletics.com Get the best for your team delivered right and on time So, elevate your team's game by contacting SM Athletics today It's time for the North Knox Siding and
3: Windows High School Basketball Player of the Week Brought to you by North Knox Siding and Windows Call 865-689-0505 or visit them online at northknoxsidingandwindows.com This week's North Knox Siding and Windows High School Basketball Player of the Week is Halls High School's Jake Lane. Lane led Halls to a 63-53 win over Carter last Friday. The senior guard had 29 points and six steals to lead the Red Devils over the Hornets. Halls High School's Jake Lane. This week's North Knox Siding and Windows High School Basketball Player of the Week. North Knox Siding and Windows, locally owned and operated. They can handle all of your siding, window, gutter, and roofing needs. Call 865-689-0505 for a free estimate or go online at northknoxsidingandwindows.com. Are you ready to elevate your driving experience? Then you need to head over to your hometown dealership, Parkside Kia, home of the Lifetime Warranty. Discover the latest Kia cars and SUVs where technology meets style. Our friendly staff is here to make your car buying experience a breeze. Don't wait. Visit Parkside Kia today and drive home in the Kia of your dreams. Check them out online at parksidekia.com and visit their showroom at 9929 Parkside Drive. Parkside Kia, where your journey begins. A brand built in Tennessee and born from the love of the game. Inward Half revolutionizes golfing comfort. Crafted by a former pro and dedicated enthusiast, just like you, our luxury performance wear guarantees you stay cool and comfortable through every swing and every day. We're not just a brand. We've set out to create a lifestyle for those who understand that impeccable style and premium performance are a hole in one. Enjoy the walk-in with Inward Half.
1: here on overtime on a Friday night. What a great week we have had here. Uh, The first week of overtime with William Patterson and it's been awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in all week long. Uh, And we've got a big game tomorrow. It's Tennessee and Georgia as the Vols hit the road to face the Georgia Bulldogs. The fifth-ranked Tennessee men's basketball team caps a two-game road trip as it faces Georgia and Athens Saturday afternoon. Tip-off is slated for noon at the Stegman Coliseum. The Vols enter Saturday's contest at 11-4, 1-1 in the SEC, following a road loss to Mississippi State on Wednesday. And the Bulldogs come in at 12-3 and 2-0 in the SEC, following a 76-66 win over Arkansas for their 10th straight win. Um, this is a, a a kind of a... Important game, in my opinion, for Tennessee. Another road game where you haven't played well over the last couple of seasons. Need a bounce-back win and really a convincing one against a Georgia team that is pretty hot right now. Ten straight games, that's you know pretty good in basketball. Really, any sport, that is. And um, you've got to be able to weather the storm on the road. And I think, uh, do the Vols have enough to stop the red-hot Bulldogs on the road?
2: Yeah, it's going to be a, a tough game tomorrow. I mean, we've not played well down there many times in the past. Um, you know, kind of looking at Georgia a little bit, you know, that winning streak they really haven't played that tough of a schedule, except for these last two. They played Missouri, they played Arkansas, they won them both. Um, but their schedule really hasn't been that tough, so they've been racking up a, a lot of Ws, a lot of stats against some pretty weak competition. Um so it's going to be interesting to see tomorrow. Is, is it an Ole Miss situation where Ole Miss won a lot of games against, yes. against a bunch of bad teams? And mm-hmm. this is just, is it a good team? Or, you know, the last two games against Missouri and Arkansas, is that something that's real? Is that, you know, a substance there? Or are they actually a lot better than a lot of us thought they were going to be? Um, and, you know, looking at the, the games Tennessee's lost this season, you know, I, I told you this out the other night is. They've lost against four really good bigs, mm-hmm. big guys. And yeah. Adu struggles with a big that has size, yeah. that, can, that can you know get physical with him. And they do have a guy that has size and is big. Now, he don't put up a lot of stats or a lot of numbers, but he is a big physical guy. So how does Adu play against somebody that has size again? Um, their offense has been hot here lately. Uh, on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, I was looking it up a few minutes ago. Over the last five games, their offensive net rating is in the 92nd percentile. Um, their defensive rating is in the 88th percentile. So over the last five, you know, they've played, they played really well. One of the things that Tennessee is going to be able to do too, though, is uh, outside of the big seven-footer that Georgia has, they're pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, they start pretty much four guards like we do. Um, they're not a very good offensive rebounding team. So we have the ability to get on the boards and and uh, get some defensive rebounds. Uh, Georgia does push the pace. Um, you know they're one of the best uh, shooting teams in the country over the last five games specifically. Um, they shoot the three really well. Um, they get to the free throw line. Um, their free throw attempt rate is in the ninety-six percentile, but they're not a good free free throw shooting team. Mm-hmm. Um, so they leave a lot of points on you know out there about from the free throw line. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how Tennessee's defense matches up against Georgia's hot offense over the last five games. Um, And, you know, can we put two halves together? Yeah. Because on the road at Mississippi State and on the road at North Carolina, that first half you've laid an egg. Yeah. And then you've stormed back in the second half, but it's not been enough. Mm -hmm. So can you come out early, set the tone early, Mm -hmm. show up, and that way you're not having to play a catch-up in the second half?
1: Yeah, I think something you hit on is something we'll talk about a little bit more here in a minute, too. But I think it's the the big play. You know, uh, Tennessee this season has struggled against really good bigs in that Maui tournament. We saw Zach Eady. We saw Hunter Dickinson. And Tolu Smith is maybe not on that those guys' level, but he's still a really good big, probably the best in the SEC. Um, and and Georgia doesn't really have uh, that guy. They Now, they've got a big guy, but he's not like their source of right. offense. yeah yeah. Um, so I think that plays well into Tennessee not having to face a guy where, uh, you know, they're big is their main source of offense. Now, their guard plays good, and that's really what's been uh, getting them going as of late. But I think for Tennessee, as you said, you've got to get it going early on the road. Anytime you go into a road environment, you've got to set the tempo. You've got to set the tone early, and Tennessee has failed to do that in the last two competitions on the road. So... Uh, I think it's just playing your style, making Georgia kind of uh, react to how you are controlling the game, especially at home. I think that's how you get off to a good start. Now, um, Zakai Ziegler, what a story he's been over the last five games. He's really improved. Uh, we saw Dawn Connect really pick it up in that second half. I want to see a game where we at least can get Connect and Ziegler involved, but also get these kind of secondary pieces going too. Josiah Jordan-James, uh, Santiago Vescovi, all these guys. that really feel like we haven't had a game Yet this season, where all three or four of those guys have had okay, that was a good game for all of them. You know, good game from Josiah. Doesn't have to be thirty points; just a, you know twelve points from Josiah. Get a couple threes from Santiago, um, and then you know Ziegler doing his thing, passing the ball, and also getting some points in the connect. We need him to be more consistent because up until last game, over the last five games, he has kind of struggled, has been a shell of himself, and uh, I, I think that also goes to. Uh, a couple of teams defending him differently and kind of prioritizing their defensive game plan around him. I understand that. Um, but I, I think you have an opportunity here where George is a little bit inflated with their record at 12 and three. Um, have not played a really hard out of conference schedule. Um, their draw, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago in the ACC matchup was uh, Florida State. Um, and, and they're nothing really good this year either. So I think, you know, a couple of their matchups this year have not been against good teams. 12 and three sounds great on paper, but like Ole Miss, they were 13 and 0 and they came in here to TBA and, you know, we demolished them. So I think you kind of have to set the tone early, get it going early on the road, and then also get some of these secondary pieces involved. And most importantly, got to stay out of foul trouble. That's mm-hmm. really been uh, a Tennessee's Achilles heel this season when. They get in foul trouble, then things get a little weird uh, going forward. So uh, I think that'd be one thing to look on. Um,
2: on the personal foul thing, real quick, yeah. uh, they're 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 in the 91st percentile. Georgia is and drawing fouls. Yeah, like you know, like I said a few minutes ago, they get to the free throw a lot. Uh-huh. They just not they're not a good free uh, sure. free throw shooting team. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, Vols are one and two on the road this season, as we mentioned a little bit ago. Four and six last year on the road. Uh, can the Vols snap their road spell uh, against Georgia? I think if you're going to, this is probably your best opportunity looking at what you've got going forward.
2: And, you know, uh, projecting forward, if you want a chance of winning the SEC regular season title, this is a game you have to go you win You have now. to. You have to go win. Since you dropped the one at Mississippi State, you have to go win this game. And going back to what you were saying just a few minutes ago, we have five guys that at any night can go get you 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we need – for this team to fully reach its potential and really be able to make a run of March, is out of those five, you need three of them. Mm-hmm. It can be any of the three, yeah. but a combination of three every night mm-hmm. give you mm-hmm. a good game. Yep. The other night, you got two. Yeah, You didn't get anything out of Adu, Vescovy, or Josiah. If yep. one of those give you anything, you win that game because you storm back in the second half. Um, so that's one thing that we got to f- kind of figure out is, you know, Josiah had played pretty well. Up until that game, he had best season of his career, and then he disappeared. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that kind of worried me, and I didn't understand: is your two fifth-year seniors, who should be the ones showing up and yeah. giving you something and playing yeah. their best basketball, did completely disappeared in a big-time road game.
1: Yeah, I think you you know you mentioned it what was it they can uh Ziegler and connect combined for 54 of the vols what 70 points the other night that's that's not a winning formula no. now uh, great performances from connect and Ziegler you love that but uh getting 16 points from the rest of your per, rest of your bench and rest of your team that is is not good. i don't even i don't even know if we had a, a bench point or two or not many i don't think uh um, well, walk it gave you a little bit a little bit. That's right. That's right. Um, but it wasn't much because we were no. covering that game yesterday, and uh, Dawson, who was here yesterday, said, "You know, bench production was terrible too." So, uh, and that cannot happen in any game, let alone on the road. And you you talk about going into March, you've got to have at least three guys. Connect is your closer, so you've got to have him in the biggest moments. But getting production from your fifth-year seniors, the guys that have been in the tournament multiple times, been on the road multiple times in the SEC. Uh, that 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 kind of stuff cannot happen if you want to be successful. So I think getting them back involved has to be a point of emphasis.
2: One thing I'll say about the Mississippi State game, and then we can keep uh, talking about the Georgia game, is this: Now I, I'll never, you know, be happy about losing a basketball game. You never want to lose, but if we're going to take a positive out of that, if 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 I could choose, okay, you win the game, but don't connect still. Is not confident, mm-hmm. or I, you can lose that game, and all of a sudden Connect comes back alive. And mm-hmm. what you saw the other night is who he is. Yeah, give me the L. Give me the L now, letting Connect find his confidence and be what he's been this season. Yeah, and I'll take that and go into March and take it because if he can, he looked confident he shot the ball confident teams had been getting up into him because his his ball handle wasn't very strong uh while he was struggling they were, they realized that he's not very strong especially his right hand driving cuz he he doesn't really He'll drive and get into trouble, and he wants to spin out of it. Yeah. And teams were kind of collapsing on him when he would do that, and they would knock the ball away. And the other night, he finally looked confident. He looked strong with the ball. He was driving the basketball like he was earlier in the season. And and he's so long, when he's able to drive that ball, he can easily get to the rim and and finish at the rim. So I'll take the loss if that meant Dalton Connect is back to being a – national player of the year, top player, that yeah. we saw. I'll, you know, I'll take that because that player combined with what this roster has, that can get you to an Elite Eight and to a Final Four.
0: Yeah,
1: I think a shooter's confidence is something that's not really talked about that much, and it's kind of a generality. But, you know, if a guy's struggling, it only takes a couple of shots to get him back in rhythm. And I think in, in terms of connect, it was a couple of games of struggling. You needed a game to get kind of back in. I think that was that on Wednesday night, kind of get that confidence, okay, you know what, every every guy has a slump. Steph Curry has a slump, the greatest do. But it's how you respond and how you get that confidence back, and I think he did. Let's hope he can carry that uh, on Saturday. Now, uh, Georgia gets much of their production from their guard play. Uh, Noah Thomason and Jabari Abdul-Rahim, uh, those guys have been their, their go-to guys this season, both leading and scoring and assists. Uh, does that play into the Vols' favor, with the Bulldogs' lack of playing through a, a, a true big man, which we kind of talked about a little bit earlier.
2: Yeah, I think it does because we have we have the guards are, that will be able to defend that. Yes. Um, now, Hubbard did go off there or not, yeah. um, but he wasn't the reason you end up losing that game. No. Tolu Smith is yeah. the reason you end up mm-hmm. losing that game. And, you know, Zakaia plays really good defense. Vescovy plays really good defense. You're able to switch. We switch a lot up top. Uh, Josiah can get out there and guard those guys. So I do think that, that will play into our defensive game plan. Plus, Georgia gets a lot of their points from the three-point line. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And we defend the three really, really well. Yeah. So, that kind of plays into our favor also. Um, So, yeah, I like our guards. And we have the experienced guards. And as we just talked about, basically didn't show up the other night. You would hope that he figures himself out and starts showing up. Because Zakai, with his experience, I would take him right now – over a lot of point guards in the SEC, Zakai yeah. playing like one of the best point guards in the entire country yeah. right now, yeah. and he's he's a, a a tough guy to play against on both sides of the floor. He he creates havoc. He's you know he gets under your skin because of how he plays. Yeah. So I you know I I like that matchup for Tennessee at the guard spot.
1: Yeah, you know, while Tennessee might lack in 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 center depth, I think they have a lot of guys that can defend a lot of positions, and I think that's a really big thing against a team like Georgia that likes to play around the perimeter. You've got a lot of defenders that can defend multiple guys. So if they're running a pick-and-roll with a, a small forward, Josiah Jordan-James can now switch on to their guard, vice versa. You know, it makes them – uh, not immune to to, to a three-pointer but it, it, it definitely as you said you know one of the top defending teams on the three-pointer this season in, in Tennessee and I think it shows that because of the way they're able to uh, switch on to different players and play a lot of guys at multiple positions so I think that definitely helps them out and um, you know we, we mentioned earlier foul trouble uh, gotta stay out of that um, so we're They don't have to now go to the big man because Adu's in foul trouble. We don't have a guy that can come in there and rebound and defend. So I think if the matchup on paper right now that you've got, if everything, everyone stays out of foul trouble, just plays the way they have all season, it plays into Tennessee's favor based off the fact that the defenders you have on that perimeter, uh, you know, Ziegler, Vescovi, Josiah Jordan-James, even Mayshack uh, it can come in off the bench as well and provide some big minutes as well. So um, I, I think it plays into Tennessee's favor, and we'll have to see um, if if that comes to fruition. You know, on paper the other night against Mississippi State, yeah, they had a big, but they really hadn't gotten that production out of Hubbard uh, in a couple of games, and he went for a big number. So we hope that doesn't happen for, for Georgia's big. So,
2: Two things I'm going to be interested in watching tomorrow in the game is – how does Connect play? Uh-huh. Did, does he carry that from the Mississippi State game into this game? Does he still have that confidence? He's still playing confident and being aggressive. That's one thing in the Mississippi State game, too. He was aggressive still. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing. And I've been kind of keeping up with this over the last 10 games since really the George Mason game. Now, granted, A.D. went off. I think it was the George Mason game. He almost had 30. Yeah. Um, and then a few weeks ago or a week ago against Ole Miss, he had a really, really good night. And this is this. So that's including these two games. But over the last 10 games – awaka has been more consistent. Yeah, his his box plus minus is way better than Adu's and less minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, rebounding the ball better, playing better defense, mm-hmm. uh, hustle plays. He's been better than Adu in limited minutes, and that's even with Adu having those two twenty point games. Sure. Yeah. so I'm going to be curious to see even the other night. Uh, Adu's uh, plus minus was minus four. Awaka's was plus two. They mm-hmm. played 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm, the two things connect, and I, w- I want to continue to see, does Awaka keep coming on? Because I think at some point, if Adu's not going to be able to play against these big guys like that, you're going to have to ask the question, is it time to maybe put Awaka in a starting lineup to give him more minutes? Because he's right now bringing more value on all the other things than what a bringing to you right now.
1: And Awaka's and a guy, and we talked about here on yesterday, um, Awaka's a guy this summer that a lot of people had some really high expectations for with how he played for Team USA, and we really haven't seen that necessarily translate this season. But I think he's gotten incrementally better over the last couple of games. I just think his height disadvantage is what makes him hard to put in uh, put in the game against a couple of these bigger uh, bigger centers. And I think, Adu, you have to put him in there because of his size.
2: My, um, my only rebuttal on that uh, would be this, is – yeah, Adu has the size, but as you saw the other night, and even you saw, he's not very physical, and he gets back no, down under yes. the rim extremely well. Yeah. Whereas Adu whereas may not have the size, but he has the bulk and the strength to push those bigs more out of the paint yeah. and make it harder for them to get to the rim and finish around the rim. The other night against Mississippi State, Mississippi State shot 20% above their average at the rim. Yeah, We have no rim protection. No. We've only held one team the in the four losses that we have. We've only had one team below what their average is at the rim. That was the Purdue game, and that's because we got Edie in foul trouble. Yeah, And Edie lived at the free throw line in that game too. Um, so we got to figure out rim protection from somebody. It has to come from somewhere. We cannot let teams continue to get easy points at the rim.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. All right, when we come back, we'll give our best bets of the night. Stay right here on Overtime.
3: Future of modern dental care to East Tennessee, today. All of the scraping and polishing with the gritty stuff, that will soon be ancient history. At Knoxville Smiles, the future is here now with guided biofilm therapy. Using a gentle erythritol powder, mixed with air and warm water, our hygienists can clean your teeth better than ever without all the poking and scraping. Visit KnoxvilleSmiles.com to find out more or just call us at 865-539-1776.
0: or visit smathletics.com Get the best for your team delivered right and on time So, elevate your team's game by contacting SM Athletics today When it's past high noon, it's time for a vodka soda made with a vodka you've
3: actually heard of! I'm talking White Claw Vodka Soda made with White Claw Premium Vodka JB Smooth only drinks vodka soda made with the world's smoothest vodka And you can too. Pick you up a bottle of the triple wave filtered vodka that's been distilled five times White Claw Premium Vodka comes in four flavors. Black cherry, mango, pineapple, and just vodka. You haven't had vodka like this. No one has. White Claw Premium Vodka. Please drink response. Are you ready to elevate your driving experience? Then you need to head over to your hometown dealership, Parkside Kia, home of the lifetime warranty. Discover the latest Kia cars and SUVs where technology meets style. Our friendly staff is here to make your car buying experience a breeze. Don't wait. Visit Parkside Kia today and drive home in the Kia of your dreams. Check them out online at parksidekia.com and visit their showroom at 9929 Parkside Drive, Parkside Kia where your journey begins.
1: Final segment of our number one here on this Friday night edition of Overtime. And it's now time for our best bets of the night. And I'll begin with my two games in in college basketball. Now, one just started in Indiana. I got Indiana minus four. Uh, They're facing off against Minnesota, who is 347th in strength of schedule this year compared to Indiana's 59th. Indiana's been battle-tested, play a lot of good teams. And Minnesota is also 200th in free-throw attempt rate, and they only shoot 69% from the free-throw line. Uh, not great numbers there. If it's a close game, Indiana likes the advantage there. Um, and I like Indiana at home. This is a good spot for them against a team that's kind of overinflated uh, in Minnesota. And uh, Minnesota's also 14-1 against the spread this year. Now, I know that doesn't go against my number. Um, that goes against my number, but I think it's because Minnesota – uh, in, in this spot at least, is being overinflated based on how they've done. So I like Indiana tonight at home, minus four. Uh, my next bet is USF, South Florida, minus four and a half. Uh, the Bulls excel at turning the ball over, uh, creating turnovers. They do a really good job at that. They have a really big edge on the glass tonight. They've been without a couple of key pieces this year, Brandon Stroud and Kason Pryor. Now, Stroud, for you college basketball heads out there, he played for Kennesaw State last year, was really big in that tournament run for them. Uh, He's back, Pryor's back, and this is too good a spot at home against the Rice team. Unless they just shoot the lights out, I will not really be able to hang around with the South Florida team. So I've got Indiana minus four, South Florida minus four and a half. Jordan, what do you got?
2: Um, So I have two things. Um, I have – Nebraska plus four-and-a-half at Iowa tonight. I almost took the over, uh, but the over is 166-and-a-half. That's a little high, but both of these teams are very high-scoring teams. Um, Iowa almost gives up exactly what Nebraska scores per game. Um, uh, Iowa is not very good at defending the three-point shot, uh, and Nebraska is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country, and they're top, uh, top 35 in three-point attempts a game. Um, so I would expect the, you know a lot of scoring there from Nebraska if they can get the shots to fall like they have been doing. The pace is going to be pretty quick, um, so I, I would expect a lot of points to be scored. Um, so I would take Nebraska plus four and a half. Uh, I, they come, had a big game the other night, a big win against Purdue they did. by shooting a lot of threes yes, and being yes. a, shooting the ball really, really well. Um, they're one of the best, you know, offensive teams in the country. Iowa is 120th in defense, um, so that kind of bodes well for Nebraska. As far as being able to score points and keep the pace up, they're going to get plenty of possessions to be able to do it because Iowa is just – Iowa is actually a little bit surprisingly faster pace-wise than what Nebraska really? is. Really? Okay. So Nebraska is going to get some possessions to be able to shoot the ball. and If they can get the shots up, I think they can hit enough threes to pull the upset uh, at Iowa tonight. And my second one would be the Miami Heat are going to be without Tyler Hero, without Jimmy Butler, and without Kyle Lowry. So I would go in, and, and put a, a, a parlay together. I would take Bam over on the points. I think – last I looked it was at 24 and a half I'll take okay. the over there uh rebounds I think it's at 10 and a half I will take the over on the rebounds for bam and Yaquez points is at uh 17 and a half okay. I will take the over on that too because somebody on that team they're gonna have to score from somewhere yeah and they really don't have any any besides Kayla Martin and really those two those are the only three that can, that can really put any kind of points up in a you know and a bunches um so those are two things that I would put in tonight
1: okay all right so that's Indiana minus four South Florida minus four and a half for me that's Nebraska on the points and also a parlay between Bam Adebayo over points, over rebounds, and Jaime Haquez over on points with uh, Miami a little bit shorthanded tonight. Those are our best bets for the night. All right, got a couple seconds here before we go into the next hour. One thing I want to ask, going back to Tennessee, uh, we talked about it yesterday reacting from that Mississippi State game. Is Tennessee too thin at center to be able to make a run this year?
2: I think it all comes down to the matchup. I think it comes down to the matchup. Um, I think we have seen throughout this season when another team, as we said earlier, doesn't have that big physical big man, that Tennessee's pretty good basketball team, and they can they can win the majority of those games. And and here's the thing: even in these four losses against these big physical big men, we only lose by four, by two, yeah. by three. We're still right there, you know. They, We may not play well against us, but we're still right there. I think you have enough, um, especially with your guard play and with with the depth that you do have, the experience depth that you do have, that if your matchup falls the right way. Now, if you told me that we were playing a North Carolina or somebody like that in the second or third round, then then that would worry me a little bit. But you're not going to see a big man like that very often in college basketball. Not many teams have a Tolu Smith or a Hunter Dickinson yeah. or a Baycott or an Edie, right? We just happen to play those guys so far this season. Um, so it really is going to be matchup dependent. Um, but I still I'm, – I'm still very confident in this team making a run. I think, I think that the recipe of this, what this roster has, what this team has, what this team has done to this point, and I've been following it really since last year – Tennessee right now is checking all the boxes of previous Final Four teams and national champions when it comes to offense efficiency and defense efficiency. They're yeah. checking all the boxes. So they're still a really good basketball team. All right,
1: in hour number two, we'll talk about Gerard Mayo being hired as the New England Patriots' next coach and can the Cowboys cruise to the cheese ass. We'll be right back in hour number two. Are you in need of a smile makeover? Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Costa at Knoxville Smiles. And if you're ready to improve your smile, replace teeth that are missing, make your dentures tighter, add...